Hello, everyone. Um, before I dismiss uh, Junior Church, I need all those who are four years old through fourth grade to come up, but I need fourth graders right here. So everybody come on up for, uh, if you're going to Junior Church, you can go over there, but fourth graders come here. So fourth graders right here. Everybody else can go over there. Wait over there. Fourth graders right here. Let's see. Any more? Oh, fourth grader. Is this it? Any more fourth graders? All right, so fourth graders, look at me. You want to know what today is? You, you girls can go over there. They're waiting for you over there. Fourth graders, guess what today is? Your last junior church day. After today, you're getting promoted to be in here with all of us. Isn't that great? Too bad. Okay, so we just wanted to let you know next week is promotion Sunday. That means all the kids are moving up for the summer for their a projected grade for next year, and so you're going to be in fifth grade, which means we're going to expect you to be a little bit more mature. That's right. I'm not mature, you're right, and I'm still in here, so it's all good. All right, so go enjoy and hope you have a good time. Bye. Anytime I can make fun of them and tease them, I will do that, so just see. We are engaged in a study of the life of David, the king of Israel, and he is such a significant biblical character. He has 62 chapters of the Old Testament that are devoted to his biography. Not only that, there are more than 50 references of him in the New Testament, uh, by far more than any other biblical character except for Jesus. This man, this great man, after God's own heart, committed a series of terrible sins that led to some terrible consequences. At this time, David's about 50 years old when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Instead of taking responsibility of his actions, admitting his wrong, David covered it up with premeditated murder. Last week, we read through chapter 11. Today, we're going to get into chapter 12, and while it's the next chapter, a, a turn of the page. In reality, a large amount of time has passed from the end of chapter 11 to chapter 12. For a better part of a year, David thought he had gotten away with his cover-up. He lived a life of hypocrisy and deception. Last week, we, we quit the event reading by this verse in 2 Samuel 11, verse 27, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. What displeases God 3,000 some years ago still displeases God today. To cheapen marriage with an adulterous relationship is a sin. Unfortunately, even today, right now, in secret places, people with wedding bands will be with someone else other than their spouse. And this is evil in the eyes of the Lord. When David committed adultery, God didn't reach down with judgment right away. I'm just going to pre-warn you, it's going to be a very blunt sermon. And the reason why it's going to be so blunt is because it's what the Scripture says. And I've got to preach and say what the Scripture says. It, it makes some of us 
feel uncomfortable. But we need to understand that while God does give judgment against sins, we need to understand that God doesn't settle his accounts at the end of each month or each week. May not even wait till the end of the year. He may take some time for him to bring down justice and judgment. Galatians 6 7 says this Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. We just uh, got our garden ready, our, our vegetable gardens, and, and there were some areas we planted some uh, bush beans and some sweet peas. Now, if corn pops up there, it's either somebody's playing a prank on us, or I don't know what the seeds look like. That's really what it is. Because I planted sweet peas, so what's going to grow? Not sweet corn. That's a prosser. He thinks he's a farmer, apparently. You reap what you sow. You harvest what you put into the ground. And that's what this is saying. Just consider a moment for David, what he did here. What life was like for David between the time he sinned, the time he pulled her out of her marriage, to the time of chapter 12 here. Do you think life was enjoyable for David? Did he have a long, wonderful night with his new wife, free from guilt? Was he was David in a marvelous state of mind during that time? Well, we don't know the exact answer, but I think we can get a glimpse into his mindset. All we need to do is read Psalm 32. Look what he says. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. You want to know what he felt like? That's what he felt like. His body wasting away, the, his energy and everything evaporating away. If you're driving a car, and then that light pops on, that engine light comes on, that's telling you there's trouble under the hood. You need to look at it. At that moment, you have two choices. You can pull over and figure out what's going on, or you can pull out some black electrical tape covered up and think it's okay. What's going to happen, though? <laughs> He's like, yeah, then you can see me. <laughs> if you cover it up, you can keep driving guilt-free, but what's going to happen? It's going to get worse. And when you burn up the motor, then you're going to regret your decision. You're going to look back and realize what a stupid decision not to pay attention to the warning sign. And some Christians, even some Christians in this room, carry tape in the glove compartment of their conscience. And when the light of true guilt begins to flash, we pull it out and try to cover it up. And then live life like nothing's changed. And then down the road, when troubles and calamity finally hits, we'll look back and realize what a foolish decision it was not to take care of that problem then. I think that's what David was doing. He was covering it up for this year, but the whole time, his life was running in ruin. 
He was struggling. How many of you ever read this short story, um, The Tell-Tale Heart by Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe? Okay, some of you had to, had to read it. It was good. Um, it's a story of a man who murders a neighbor, an old man with an ugly eye, um, and he hides the body under his floorboards. But in his guilt, he starts hearing the heartbeats. And, and as you're reading it, you'll hear thump thump. Did they hear that? Thump thump. Because the police come to ask questions. Oh no, they must suspect thump thump. They heard it. Thump thump. Oh no, they know. He goes on to say they heard this. They suspected. They knew. They were making. They were making a mockery of my horror. This is what I thought, and this is what I think. But. Anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die, and now and again, hark, louder, 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 billion street. No more, I admit, the deed. Tear up the planks. Here it is. Here is the beating of this hideous heart. The, the whole story of this is this guilt was weighing on the murder so much that he kept hearing the beating of the heart that should still be alive. He was a guilty man and it ate at him. David is a guilty man. Several months have gone by from the end of chapter 11 to 12. Now let's see what happens. Chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David a story. Now, Nathan didn't come on his own. God had to send him. Nathan was a man who had earned David's respect over the years. He, he knew him real well. And now put your feet in Nathan's sandals. Today, God tells you to go tell David a story. Today, they, um, today we call these word pictures, where you take something similar of something. Jonathan, he thinks he's a farmer, so I pick something about farming and tell him a story of how I felt on that so he could connect. It's called a word picture. Jesus used these, except we call them parables. Now put your feet in these sandals. Go tell the king this story. So what did he say? So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owed a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. Now first, I want you to know Okay, there are people who dress up their pets. I think it's absurd. And yet, this lamb is eating and drinking from the owner's plate and drink and cup. He's taking care of it. Can you imagine? You've seen those little pe- those people, they hold their little puppies. And, oh, my little baby. Oh, my, that's an animal. But that's what this is saying here. They loved this lamb so much, they cared for it like it was a child. And David would have connected with this, because when David was young, what was he? A shepherd. In fact, he fought to keep the sheep safe. He would understand how those little lambs are actually really cute. And how they'll follow you anywhere when they associate you. And 
how they actually will come and as you're standing there, they'll kind of nuzzle on your leg and, and cuddle you. David would remember the poverty of being a poor shepherd and knowing the worth of these lambs. Look how David responds, verse 5. David was furious. I don't think he sat there and spoke monotone here. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and having no pity. David bursts out. I think he jumped up out of his seat. He was furious. How could anybody do this? He must pay restitution. This is where Nathan takes this word picture, this parable, and he unfolds it to reveal the true message. Four words is what Nathan says. Verse 7. Then Nathan Nathan said to David, You are that man. That rich man who deserves to die, David. You are that man. The one who must pay uh, pay back what he owes four times over. You are that man. You are that man. Remember when Goliath was hit in the forehead with a rock and dropped to the ground? I think this is when David gets struck in the forehead. You are that man. In David's arrogance and lust, David has selfishly exploited Bathsheba and stole her from Uriah. In his covetousness and cold, <coughs> cold-blooded callousness, he had planned the death of Uriah. In his self-centered preoccupation, he deliberately implicated Joab in his crime. In his sin against God and man, David has brought blasphemy against God's honor. And for any single one of these sins, David deserved to die. As was clearly stated in Mosaic Law, David is a sinner. You are that man. But look what else Nathan says. You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Can you imagine how devastating these words could have been to David? In his sin, David despised the word of God which is God himself, the one who loved and blessed him and took care of him. When David chose to sin, he chose to hate God and his word. Let that sink for a moment. When he chose to sin, he chose to hate. He hates God. 
As a result, David is going to experience all kinds of grief. If you look ahead in the chapters, you're going to see that David's family is going to experience tragedy and heartache. It would have been far easier to die than to stand and face the consequences. Try to picture David sitting here after hearing this judgment. He just stood up in furious judgment against this rich man, and he got told, you are that man. I can see him after standing up and yelling that kind of falling back into his chair like, oh my. He's sitting there in shock, staring into space. Maybe his mouth is hung open knowing what I've learned of David. I can't help but picture him at this point falling to his knees. His face buried in his hands with tears running from his eyes. Look what it says in verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against God, against the Lord. He caused this sin months ago. But he finally admits his regret. He confesses his sin. David finally acknowledges his wrongdoing. And by doing this, David does something. He starts a restoration process between him and God. Look at verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, I like this, there's no hesitation. Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Nathan's mission is complete. He came, he said the parable. He pronounced the judgment, you are that man, and he also pronounced the forgiveness but the consequences. And Nathan turned and walked to the door, stepped through it, closed it, and left David alone in this situation. David's confronted with his sin. He's told his earth, uh, his eternal consequences are, oh, that's, that's my boy. Thank you. And thanks for listening to your mom. <coughs> He's told his eternal consequences, you are forgiven. But your earthly consequences are going to remain. Different things there. Can you imagine how hard it must have been for David then? Bathsheba. Remember how I killed your husband to cover up my sin? I'm forgiven, but this child that you are carrying is now going to die because of me. That's really what David had to say. Perhaps it was the same evening that David wrote Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. You have broken me now. Let me rejoice. Don't keep me looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. 
Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Right here in this, those scriptures, we can see what true repentance is. In fact, some of the, those lines are in some fantastic songs that talk about it. I knew a guy, Peter Chagy, I know I've said this before, but we just said the words, make me whiter than snow. And Peter Chagy, he was from Kenya. He came to Michigan. He went from Kenya to Michigan to go to college. And they have something in, in Michigan that they don't have in Kenya. It's called winter. And he stood there staring out the window, crying. And I thought, man, he's missing his home. And I asked him, what's matter, Peter? And he said, he made me whiter than that. He understood that this, you ever seen that blinding, brilliant white of snow that is all over and it looks so pure and holy? And that is nothing compared to what God's forgiveness makes us. There is so much, so much truth to stand on in these verses, but it all rests upon repentance. When we come to repentance, we need to act the same way. David did. Repentance is a big churchy word. A lot of times we think it just means to ask forgiveness, to be sorry. That's that's part of it. But it's not all of it. True repentance means I am sorry for it. I'm sorry so much that I'm going to walk away, change my direction, and not go near that sin again. True repentance is not wanting to be near that sin. So if we want to have true repentance, we must first have a full confession. When a person holds back truth or only tells you part of their confession, he or she is not repentance. If I got caught stealing candy and I told mom, I'm sorry, and I've got ten in my back end, I said, I'm sorry, I stole these two. I'm sorry. Am I really sorry? That is not repentance. That's a cover-up. That's fake. True repentance means a full confession. It can't be partial. It has to be full. But true repentance also comes with a commitment to break free, to break away, a complete break from that sin. True repentance is turning around, going the opposite direction of that sin. We cannot repent and stay in the sin. I can't say, Mom, I'm sorry for stealing candy as I keep grabbing it and putting more in my pocket. That's not repentance. True repentance also requires humility. Humility means accepting what you are. Sin. David had been humble enough to accept that he was not just a sinner, he was a murderer, an adulterer, somebody who hated God in his word. We must be humble if we're going to repent. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. For true repentance, we must be humble, acknowledging we've failed and messed up. But here's the good thing. Those are the hard steps. 
true repentance gives us God's forgiveness and restoration. There are two things here that God gives us. All sins are forgivable when we are confessing and repenting of. Some sins carry tremendous ramifications and lingering consequences. When we repent, God takes away the eternal consequences. He gives us forgiveness and restoration through the blood of Jesus Christ. But God does not promise relief from earthly consequences. Sometimes he does, but he doesn't always. Look what it says, 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from wickedness. What does it say about the earthly consequences? Nothing. He cleanses us from sinning, but the things that it affected still have to be handled. Ready to get personal? Perhaps you're here today suffering from a load of guilt because you're continuing to live in sin. Maybe you're participating in a secret sin or living such with duplicity, you're feeling like you're living in two different things. Some have tried to ignore the message. They, they put tape over their, the guilt. Some people, even in the last message, they just want to blot it out and not even deal with it. You try to push it away so you don't feel the guilt. Try to justify your actions. Well, I do this, or I did this. I feel this way. You don't ever have to do it if you would just repent. Accept what God says. You can actually be free of guilt if you just turn to God. Please hear the message that David is saying, not just to David, but to us as well. You are that man. You are that woman. So how are we going to respond? Will you confess like David did? Will you admit, I have sinned against the Lord? If you do that, then you will hear, the Lord has forgiven you of your sins. As somebody who's felt that, let me tell you the wave of relief that came crashing onto my my soul and my conscience. Perhaps there are others among us today who are suffering under a load of guilt, but not because they're continuing to live in sin, but because of a past sin that they're still clinging on to. And they are resisting God's forgiveness and reinstatement. The guilt and shame may be causing you to feel too unworthy to be forgiven. I know that was me for a time. I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive me. I know God has erased that from my soul, but I have to hold on to it to remind myself of how evil and bad I am. And the whole time God is saying, you are who I say you are, not who you say. None of us are deserving of forgiveness. Let's just admit it. No one in here is good enough to be forgiven. You are a wretched, horrible sinner just like me. Thankfully, that's not the basis of forgiveness that God offers. God for, God's forgiveness is a gift of grace and love. It is given on the basis of our great need through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to admit we are the sinner and admit we need the Savior. It is not God's will that we refuse His gift of grace. It is His will that we receive it. That's what God wants. 
He wants you to realize that He sees you as valuable. He wants you to see that you are precious in His sight and you do not have to live in that sin, that you do not have to try and cover it up anymore, that you can be even more because of who He says you are. On the screen are some words that are going to appear. And as you hear me say them, as you read them, let God's Word penetrate your heart and your mind. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, adultery, idolatry, homosexuality, sorcery, which includes horoscopes, tarot cards, crystal healings, things like that. Hostility, meaning being angry with people on purpose. Quarreling, that doesn't mean having a fight, that means you want to fight. Jealousy, uncontrolled anger, selfishness, division, envy, drunkenness, lying, greed, hate, murder, quarreling, deception, gossip, rude, arrogant, conceited. These are just a few sins that are described in the Bible. Just a few. Every single one of these sins is present in this room right now. Now, some of you are going to murder, like, whoa, who, who's the murderer? You don't need to know, for, first of all. Instead of trying to figure out who fits those, find out which one is yours. Every one of these is present right now. And there are more. I didn't want to have the screen so full that we couldn't read it. But here's what the Bible says about all these and more. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're living in any of those sins, Scripture says you will not go to heaven. Every sin separates us from God, whether it's a little white lie or mass murder. Every sin separates, from, separates us from God. If any of those sins are present in your life, then you are cut off from God. You are not in fellowship. You are not in relationship with God. And that means you are going to hell. But there's better news. You don't have to stay in that screen. You don't have to stay in that life that will not inherit kingdom, eternal life. God will remove it if you hand it over. You have to hand it over to Him. Then He will remove it from you. He'll restore you into a right relationship with us. When you have a little kid and they've taken something and you're like, give it to me. Sometimes you have to pry it out of their hands, but what do you want them to do? Learn to obey. Give it to me. And God is telling so many of you, just stop and give it to me. Let go of it. Quit holding on to it because you think you need it or you've got to have it or it makes you feel good. Give it. Give it up. Because when you do that, then he takes, go to the next slide for a moment. Because that's what he makes your soul look like. That's what he does. 
There isn't even a hint of them in there anymore. They are gone. He removes them. I want to end with a prayer of confession. And I hope and pray that this will unleash within us a healing of grace. That God takes away what our sin and reveals and reminds us about God and what Jesus has done for us. And so I, we're not pointing fingers. We're not asking for you to raise your hands. Uh, but I, I'm going to say this prayer out loud. So I'm going to ask that you just kind of close your eyes. And if this is you, would you say this to God? It does not need to be out loud. But pray this confession. If, if your list was up, if your sin was up there, and you need this forgiveness, say this. O oh Lord Almighty, the God, the creator of this universe of heaven and earth, the one who created us, God, humble us before you. Today, many, today we come to you with broken spirits, repentant hearts. We know that our sin is before you right now, and some of us need to come clean before you, God. So, Lord, some of us who have been continuing sin, I ask you reveal that in our hearts and our minds. We've been caught in Satan's trap, and there's part of us that wants to break free and wants part of us that wants to stay. Open wide that trap and release us from the awful grip it has on our lives, God. What guilt we feel from this sin, what sorrow, please let us know it and feel it, but then forgive us, O oh Lord, for the things we have been doing. Thank you, Jesus, who died for this sin. Help me not to live in that sin anymore. Thank you for your grace, Father, for giving me something I don't deserve, which is forgiveness and restoration. And God, give us the ability to accept that forgiveness you offer. We don't deserve it. We don't even feel worthy to even reach out and accept the gift of forgiveness. Help us to get beyond this, beyond this reluctance, and allow your forgiveness to, to wash over us like a refreshing wave of the sea. Father, Please help each one of us here to leave today, to leave our burdens, the burdens of our sin, of our guilt and our shame. Take them from us, God. Help us to be truly repentant. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us, God. We praise you for your mighty power and your unfailing love. Thank you for hearing our heartfelt prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that was a tough time for some. For those who are struggling with that sin, who keep covering it over, I hope you didn't just sit there and tune it out. I know when I'm struggling with sin, that's what I do. I sit there and go, yeah, whatever, I know, move on. I'm not saying it as a judgment, I'm saying it as somebody who's also been at the foot of the cross, kneeling down when I was told, you are that man. And 
feeling the weight and the guilt that I kept covering up finally hit me. And then feeling and knowing that Jesus reached down. And in the middle of that, he wrapped around me. And I'm not telling you this was just some metaphysical thing. This was something I actually knew, felt, and could tell was happening. That that guilt was taken away. The shame was gone. And I knelt there, weeping in him. I don't cry. But my eyes ran dry. And I stood up from that place knowing I don't have to be that again. Because it was taken away and put on the cross and it is gone. I had to repent. Because I was that man. If you prayed that prayer, if you really meant it. Let me tell you the same thing that someone told me. I am very proud that you took the step of true repentance, true faith in God, and saying that He can blot out every sin and make me whiter than snow. Right now, there is tremendous applause in heaven for you. I'm proud of you. Secondly, Someone's very angry with you. And Satan is going to try harder to get you back. So I want to just want to say something. I don't want to do it in the back room because then people are going to think, and what's going on? But talk to me. Not a judgment. Just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. I don't need to know what sin it was. I don't. Because it's gone. I don't need to know. Well, we can start praying for each other that Satan can be held back and that the fiery darts of the evil one cannot penetrate our shield of faith. Let me help you with that. Talk to one of your elders. If you are not a Christian, though, if you've never come to the foot of the cross and dumped all the weight and the guilt of your shame and your sin, God's instructions of what to do are found in the the Bible. In Acts 2.38, when the people were told, what do we do because of our sins? Peter replied, each one of you must repent of your sins. Turn to God. I love that. You repent of your sins, turn away from them, and turn to God. Don't turn to another action, another sin. You turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So guess what? You don't have to fight this evil anymore on your own. You will have God living within you. And not only that, you'll have a band of brothers and sisters in the church who will stand with you. If you need to do this, what's it going to take Nathan had to go and tell, tell David, you are that man. David fell on his knees. The, the crowd had to ask Peter, what do we do? And he told them what to do. 
go do this. And over 3,000 were saved that day. 3,000 people repented, turned to God, and were baptized in His name. They received forgiveness. That meant their sins are gone forever. And the Holy Spirit invaded their lives, empowering them and making them a new creature. God said, you are my child right now. You are my church. You are the power. You are the light. And if you want to do that, what is stopping you today? Who will do it? We're going to do another quick prayer, and then we're going to get back into worshiping our God who saved us and who loved us. God, we praise you. God, we thank you that a sinner like me can be restored into a right relationship with you, that we can come into lay down our sins and know that we are forgiven. God, I ask that you would help any of those who are struggling in this decision, who are wondering and wavering, am I good enough? Reveal to us that we are never good enough, but we just need to take that step. Reach out a hand and accept the gift that you are offering us. Lord, I thank you for this church, for those who are praying the prayer of repentance, for those who are praying that, God, you would restore their relationship. And, God, I thank you for the ones who are about to take that next step and start the new faith journey. Help us as a church. Forgive us when we, we fall into the other ways, the cultural things, and renew us back to be a true and pure church, an army of your will, of your word. Lord, thank you for you proclaiming that we are holy. And in Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship our God. Thank <laughs> you.